we're going to dive in, and we've been really excited about this series, or maybe I've been really excited about this series, but it has been a journey to get to this point, wouldn't you say? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it has been. Um, it's given me a new perspective stepping into Glendy's arena of uh, preaching, um, something I've never done before, and it has given me a, a brand new respect for what the pastors here at North Church do every week to bring us some sort of uh, topic and, and education on a regular basis. Yeah, I didn't put him up to that, I, I swear. <laughs> but um, we, uh, John and I have something that we share in a marriage uh, called Couch Time. It is our connection point. It is uh, a time when we um, sit and we share our day with us or, or with each other and, uh, and kind of connect on what's going on with the kids. We have two teenage boys. Uh, Reed is 18. He is, oh, he's over there. Uh, he'll be launching from high school here in 16 days, 15, he's counting, one of those. And then we also have a sophomore over on that end, uh, Adam, and he just loves that we just pointed him out right now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so um, couch time. We, we often share couch time just to connect. And so we kind of patterned this after the same kind of conversations that we have uh, during our couch time. So go ahead and get comfy. We're going to make it as super awkward as we can. Uh, <laughs> Let me tell you how John and I met. We actually met when we were in college. We went to Eastern Washington uh, University together. Um, and so I knew John from some classes that we had during our sophomore year. I thought he was a sweet, really kind guy. And, uh, and then he got into the same internship um, that I did. I was in, in sports medicine. And so we all came back together um, right before football starts. All the trainers come back in August. And I remember walking into the training room just before our junior year. Of college, and there was this really cute guy standing at the Band-Aid counter wearing a pink tank top. And uh, so I introduced myself to him. <laughs> we became pretty good friends. And it was really the friendship that captured uh, me. We had all the same classes together. We studied together. And I have to tell you this, I always scored at least one point better than John on every single test. And it is my claim to fame because he's uber smart. So it's like, yes. Um, I, had, I had a little bit of the book smart. But uh, we had our internship together. We started working stocking shelves at the commissary together, and we would flirt, like, relentlessly. And <laughs> then I went away to, uh, to, right before our senior year, to be a nanny for the summer in New York. And John would write me letters, actual, like, paper letters. And I would get them, and I know it sounds super cheesy, but I would save these letters until uh, I had time to be by myself, and I, would, I had this special tree that I went and and opened the letter and read it and reread it. And he totally captured me with, with all of his goofy stories. And it was by the end of that summer that I realized that I was in love with my best friend. I want to interject right here because I remember it a little bit different. Um, <laughs> first of all, it was the late 80s, so pink was kind of in for guys. And um, it was a muscle shirt, um, not a tank top. <laughs> Whatever. Second, she's, she's right. She did score one point better than me on every test. I would study longer than her. She still got one point better than me. It drove me crazy. The, uh, and for the, the people here that are kind of like 19 and below, letters are, are you actually write it on a piece of paper. You can't make mistakes. Um, and then I would put it in an envelope. I would have a guy actually come to the house. He was on a horse, had a little bag. He stuffed <laughs> it in so here. He sent no, him no, off no. to New York. We're and not that old. Not that old. 
Okay, we're going to give you some truth this weekend. That's not it. (laughs) But uh, we've been married 27 years, and uh, we are going to try to bring some of our experience and and some of what we've learned about uh, what God says about marriage to the table this morning. Um, But let me start by asking you to finish this this rhyme. Maybe, Maybe you've heard this. John and Glendy sitting in a tree. First comes, then comes, then comes, you got it, you got it. And every 15-year-old in here is going, what the heck are they talking about? Are you kidding me? (laughs) All right, we're a little old. Nursery rhyme, I think it was a nursery rhyme um, that we all knew uh, when we were growing up. But honestly, it doesn't really go that way anymore, does it? Our society, our culture, really doesn't follow that pattern. In fact, there's actually something called the success sequence laid out in America. And the the success, don't say that fast, the success (laughs) sequence says that you're supposed to graduate from high school, then you graduate from college, and then you get a really good, high-paying job. And somewhere in there, if kids come along or you get married or you end up living together, that's great. But we have laid out a whole different pattern in America, and, and that's actually become a problem for much of our society and actually um, everything from our economy to our health. And uh, what we're finding is that more people, more and more, are cohabitating. They're just moving in together rather than actually making a commitment um, of marriage for life. And uh, cohabitating, um, cohabitating, It's not cohabitating sex. It's sex before marriage, sex without that commitment. They've actually found that it decreases um, the ability of a person to bond later when they actually do get married. And so if that's your case and you are living together, this is not a judgment thing. But we do have some things that we've found from um, uh, scientific and a health standpoint that you might actually want to pay attention to because um, commitment to marriage is actually a healthy thing. So let's look at marriage purely from a statistical standpoint, Uh, black and white, um, just kind of the science and facts. Um, So I looked in in the United States Census Bureau and the Center for Relationship Education and found just some kind of interesting facts about marriage, what it does to the couple, what it does to kids, and how it benefits society. And some of these are actually pretty interesting. Um, The first one is a healthy marriage improves the parent-child relationship. It's kind of obvious. But crime rates, domestic violence, student pregnancy, juvenile delinquency, they're all reduced when parents have a healthy marriage. Couples that are in a healthy marriage, they're more apt to further their education, own homes, have better incomes, and and overall they tend to save more money than those of fractured marriages or people who are living single. Those in healthy marriages tend to have better physical and mental health, longer life expectancy, and tend to have less, use less social uh, services. Statistically speaking, they do, not, um, they do not endure the effects of infant mortality, child abuse, and STD rates to the same degree that those people who are not in healthy relationships. One of the other real interesting things I found was that the, these positive differences and the effects of marriage, well, they're magnified in the populations that tend to be in the poverty level 
or those groups of, of the population that are considered minorities. Um, so my, my profession is in medicine, and I, most of my career I've worked in the ER. And although I've never really focused on that when I was treating my patients, when I look back on the last 20 years or so, you kind of see that trend coming into the ER. Um, and it's not a judgment thing. It's just looking back and looking at these statistics, they tend to mirror each other. And I, I find that interesting. Marriage is healthy for our society and, and for us as individuals. But there's another reason to say I do to your best friend. And it's because God designed the covenant of marriage. It was his idea. No guy or gal dreamed this up. It was God who designed it. Genesis 2.18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So God created this man, and, uh, and he had all these animals, and he decided, well, the lion doesn't fit, and the snail doesn't fit, so God created woman. He's so smart. He knew that you needed us, right? <laughs> Actually, he knew that we needed each other. God knew that we, he didn't create us to be alone. He created us to be in relationship with each other. And he created us male and female. He didn't do that to torture us with the differences. On the contrary, actually what he did was to uh, created us male and female to complement each other with our differences. And then he sets forth the, the institution of marriage as a sacred relationship between a man and a woman. And I know in Washington State and much of our country, marriage has a very fluid definition for our purposes here, we want to stay true to scripture this morning, and so we, we're going to approach marriage from the definition that it is between one man and one woman um, for life. And so we believe that really to get an accurate picture of God's heart and will, um, that we need to approach scripture with the, the reality that it is absolute truth and holds ultimate wisdom for our lives. So the definition uh, for marriage uh, we get out of Ephesians 5, 31 through 32, and it says this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So, you know, this was written at a time when uh, men were usually lived in their families of origin until the day they got married and, uh, and were ready to start their own family. And I know our culture and, and the way uh, we often live out uh, life with our kids is a little bit different now. Um, but we hope, even as we launch our son not into marriage right now, we launch him into college, we hope that our boys will value marriage. Leave me there. <laughs> Sorry, he's turning pages before I'm ready. <laughs> it's this whole tension thing, right? <laughs> It'll play out all morning, just guaranteed. But uh, what we really hope that our boys grasp is that marriage is a covenant that reflects our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because when we come into relationship with Christ as our Savior, when we accept him as our Lord, there's a wrestle that begins. There's a wrestle with our own individualism, our selfishness, right, with our pride. And there's a wrestle to surrender to the Lord's will. And so we get to show our commitment to follow by following Jesus Christ by loving others well. And marriage does the same thing. Marriage gives us the opportunity to reflect that because in our marriage, John and I get to wrestle with pride. We get to wrestle with our own individualism, our meism, our selfishness. But we also have a platform to display love and commitment to each other. Francis Chan says it this way. Uh, he says, God created marriage to be a picture that displays Christ to the world. 
And every marriage, just like uh, our relationship with Jesus, it needs to be cared for and nurtured and cultured. And I mentioned couch time earlier for us. That is really kind of the nurture time for John and I. And it's taken on a different meaning through the seasons of our lives. Uh, John and I waited eight years before we had our kiddos. Uh, part of that was because he went back to med school. And I remember coming home um, from, I was a teacher, and, and coming home from work each day, and I'd plop on John's lap on the couch, and then I'd totally verbally vomit my whole day on him. And I always knew that he was done when his eyes glazed over. He's done listening. And then I remember watching the boys walk out the door when Adam actually went to school full-time. We watched him walk across the street to the carpool, and uh, John and I were standing at the window, and we both realized, it's morning. It's not 10 p.m. at night. The house is empty. We're not exhausted. Couch time took on a whole new meaning. <laughs> And now, uh, now we spend all of our days at games. I think yesterday was a 14-hour day of baseball. And uh, we can barely find a moment to have catch time. But that's part of the point, is we have to be so intentional to find those times to really cultivate our relationship and, and nurture it. And so whether you're married or single, relationships that matter take a lot of work. And they take intentional work. So let's go ahead and advance a little bit further here and start talking about um, where Christ starts speaking about marriage and our individual roles, both for the man and the woman. Uh, and in Ephesians 5.21, it says, it starts talking about uh, submit to one another in reverence for Christ. Um, as soon as the word submit comes in, um, people get their hackles up a little bit. Um, they think about having, you know, someone's thumb on them or they have to, to, um, be a doormat or, you know, a whooping boy of some sort. And really in this context, what submit means is to come un under the leadership of another person voluntarily, not necessarily in any other way, just voluntarily. Um, I want to... In the beginning of this, it, it talks about the woman's role. I want to skip over that portion. I'm going to let Glennie take care of that. I would like to speak to the men in the room, um, both those potentially getting married in a few years uh, and those that have been married for several years. The Ephesians 5, 25 through uh, 28 says, Husbands, love your wives. Okay, that's relatively simple, you would think. Don't forget Mother's Day, <laughs> uh, maybe a birthday, anniversary, all the major holidays, Christmas, Valentine's Day, you know, keep a roof over her head, supply her what she needs. Relatively simple. But he goes on to say, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might or present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Okay, that brings a little bit different context to this, right? Well, when you start talking about Christ or loving your wives as Christ loved the church, well, how did Christ demonstrate that? Well, he, one, he demonstrated it throughout his entire lifetime. And he started preaching in the synagogue at age 12 all the way up until his death. Well, the last four or five days of his life, 
he gave us a great demonstration of what loving the church meant. The intensity, the veracity, the passion that needs to be there. So what happened? Well, keep in mind, now, guys, it, this is a person who had the power within them just to breathe out your existence. So when the soldiers came to the garden and, and arrested him, he voluntarily went with them. He, he submitted to them. He voluntarily was publicly humiliated, stripped naked, flogged, and then crucified. Now, as Christians, we talk about the crucifixion, I mean, like we should, but it becomes something that we kind of gloss over a little bit. So I, I want to just kind of go through it a little bit in more detail. I, I won't be too graphic, but when someone's flogged, they're put in chains. Um, they're strapped to a, a pillar made of either wood or stone. And they're put in, in a position where their hands are up like this. Now, it's not high enough that they can rest on it. But after they've been flogged for a few minutes and they drop to their knees, their knees don't touch the ground. So they are having to hold themselves up, which makes them more fatigued quicker. Now, crucifixion has happened in lots of different societies, but the Romans, the Romans, they perfected it. So they would have two big centurions that would whip the victim, and they would use a, a whip that's three to four feet long. It had something like a baton in it that was wrapped in leather. And at the end of that, there would be something what we would call like a cat of nine tails. Each one of those strings were braided. And within the braid, there was bits of pottery, sharpened stone, sharpened bone. So you can imagine some guy that, you know, weighs 250 pounds, swinging that as hard as he can, what would, it would do to flesh that's exposed. Well, they would do it for a couple of hours. That's just, that's intense. When they were done with this, the person could barely stand. But they would stand him up. They would take off the chains. No need for those any longer. They would strap his arms to something that looked like a railroad tie. Heavy. And make him walk to the location of where he was going to be crucified. They'd lay him down. Of course, they'd nail his hands. Right, right here through here, there's a big ligament there that holds it in place. They'd nail him through, his, through the feet with his knees bent. He'd be able to take a breath, but he couldn't exhale. He'd have to push up with his feet and pull with his hands to be able to, get a, to exhale so he could take another breath. And that would go on for hours until he succumbed to either blood loss or suffocation. So that's, that's the demonstration that Christ gave us as men in regards to the intensity that we're supposed to love our wives. That's how Christ showed us how to love the church. Well, at some point, men, we're going to stand before Christ on Judgment Day. And he's going to go through a bunch of questions and he's going to come to marriage. When he does, I can imagine him saying this to me, John, this, this is my daughter. 
my child, I gave her to you as your wife. Did you love her? I gave you an example. Did you love your wife? You got me the second service, too. <laughs> I didn't think I'd do that second service. Um, the picture, I don't know about you, but I'm a little blown away right now because the picture of Jesus' sacrifice for us is so intensely powerful. But as a woman and a wife, to realize that that's what God calls our husbands to, what woman wouldn't want that? What wife wouldn't want that kind of sacrificial love? And ladies, you know, we, we have a part to play too. Here's what I do want you to know is that um, there, ladies were never, women were never crucified. But our role as wives is just as intense. And in our culture where we're, we live in this radical feminism and um, this women empowerment, and I'm not against feminism, you need to know. I mean, women uh, have the right to vote and have, have um, many of the same rights as men. Yet, in our swing to this radical feminism, so many of the times we've stripped our men of their masculinity or their, even the permission to be masculine, to be the husbands that God created them to be. And what the word says about us wives... In Ephesians 5.22, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and, his, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. God set up this basic building block of society, and it's called the family. And the family starts with a marriage, and every family needs a leader. And God placed the husband in that role of leadership, and rightfully so. And he asks us as wives, those of us in here who are married, to submit to the leadership of our husbands. And that's a word that we often cringe at, submission, right? But what submission as a wife really means is that we are, we are following our husband's lead and we are encouraging him in his relationship with Christ, in his pursuit of Christ. Lisa Chan uh, and Francis Chan wrote this incredible study that John and I um, did with our life group earlier this year, and it was called You and Me Forever. And Lisa lays out just three real quick principles for submitting um, and what it is and what it isn't. Submission as a wife uh, is, a, is a respectful submission to a God-given position, not perfection. John's not perfect, okay? <laughs> but God's given him the permission or the position of husband, the leader of our house. If I expect him to be perfect, I set him up for failure. He has to have permission to fail. He has to have permission to, to, have, to make mistakes and for me to give him grace and vice versa. We are to submit to each other. Secondly, our only submission, absolute submission, is to God alone. If my husband asks me to sin, do something that is immoral or illegal, lie, cheat, watch pornography together, bring another person into our, uh, our sex lives, um, I, I do not have to submit to that. My submission is to God first. Now, those are difficult areas, though, so I don't want to um, encourage you to navigate that alone. We have pastors here on staff who will meet with you 
Um, there's counselors. John and I both agree that every couple at some point in their marriage should spend time on the couch with a counselor. We believe that that is healthy. But our first submission is to God alone. And then finally, um, the biblical concept of submission does not put our husbands in the place of God. There was a time in our lives where John and I, um, uh, where I recognized that uh, I let him be in charge of every emotion. That every, uh, every time he disagreed with a decision or an opinion that I had, I was a wreck. I'd become this emotional basket case. And it was actually one of my counselors who um, pointed it out. And he said, when did John become your Jesus? I was so mad. <laughs> I was like, who are you to say that to me? But he was actually right on. And I realized I had placed John on a pedestal that he was never and in a position he was never meant to fill. John is my husband, but Jesus is the one who gives me the strength and the self-control um, to face emotions and, uh, and the self-awareness to handle my emotions. So before we go any further, though, I, I do want to just address the obvious, just take a couple minutes to address the obvious. John is a man, and I am a woman, just in case just we're all there, right? But I'm also a woman who's in a leadership role in your church as a pastor. And for some people raised in traditional um, backgrounds, that may seem like a contradiction to what we hear in Ephesians 5 right here, what we've read. Um, but John and I really wrestled th with this when uh, God gave me the call into pastoral ministry. Gosh, am I usurping my, uh, John's authority? Am I stepping into something that I'm not? And what we, what we saw when we did our scripture study was through the Old Testament and the New, there are several examples of where God placed females in leadership roles. There was Deborah in the Old Testament who led God's army. Phoebe was a deacon in one of Paul's church. The daughters of uh, Lot were uh, prophetesses. They taught uh, the word and, um, and what God had told them. And then you're in a four-square church. North Church was, uh, is a four-square church, and our, our denomination was actually founded in the 1920s by a woman named Amy Semple McPherson. What we found in Scripture is that there is no distinction between the human potential or vocational freedom of either men or women. On the contrary, what we see is that God often calls both men and women into leadership roles. Ephesians 4.11 says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now, my role as a pastor here does not diminish that I am still to submit in my, as a wife to John. My role as his wife is different, and I submit to his leadership. And so that's a tension that we've had to kind of manage, and it's not always smooth. <laughs> it has not been easy. <laughs> um, I have a little but, bit of a strong personality. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we also realize that, that God has given both of us a ministry. My ministry is in medicine. Hers is as a pastor. And so when that came up, we had to sit down and we had to work through this. And I felt that it was not my place to stand in God's way and allow her to do the things that he had asked her to do and called her to do. And so that was my submission to Christ, allowing her to go off and, and become the pastor. And again, it, in the beginning, it was tough on the marriage. It was a struggle, but a struggle that was well worth it. I'm glad you'd say that. Well, we want to wrap up and, and kind of bring this plane in for a landing. 
And uh, so we thought it'd be kind of fun to take a little bit of a turn and have a little bit of fun and give you our top 10 marriage tips from the Loringers, 27 years. Um, I know some of you have more years on us, but we'll just give you what we've got. All right. So here's our, here's our marriage tips um, from bottom to top. So number 10, our big, one of our big no-nos is no cussing at each other. Every now and then there's a little word that gets dropped, but not at each other. And we don't call each other names. That is actually something that we've always uh, held very strongly to. Number nine, date each other. Uh, it's easy to date before marriage, maybe the first couple of years after the, that. Those of us in the room that have been married for a while know that it gets harder. Um, but we feel that it's really important to continue that just to keep it fresh and exciting. Number eight, no going to bed angry. You have that fight at 10 o'clock at night. The times that we have gone to bed angry, the fight lasts that much longer. Um, we've kind of laid that line in the sand that we deal with it before we go to bed. Agree on parenting issues before you talk to the kids. Um, those guys are smart. Um, and if you don't figure out exactly how you're going to discipline your kids, they will get between you. Um, they will get you guys separated, and things fall apart. <laughs> Number six, this is, this is my verbiage, deal with your crap. We all have poop in the past. We really do. I mean, I've got some big abuse issues and um, some other things that really affected me as a child. They come up in your marriage, and all of us have something in the past. It will come up in your marriage, and it will flesh out, and it's not healthy, and you need to let the Lord into that area, and sometimes you need professional or pastoral help to do it. You get number five. No, you, oh. no, you get number five. <clears throat> have sex and have it often. He had to be the one to say that. <laughs> that was not in here. Um, <laughs> that was not mine anyway. It was not so... All right, moving okay, on. That was um, number not four. Nice. <laughs> Number four, no telling stories on your spouse without permission. I've put my foot in that one way too many times. If we're going to tell stories or um, talk about each other with other people, we get each other's permission first. And number three, enlist a mentor or couple that can speak into your marriage. Um, Glennie and I have had several couples throughout our marriage that we've kind of partnered with so they can kind of help us through some of those rocky times, things that they have already gone through, um, so they can kind of give us some advice on how to maybe skip some of the stuff that doesn't need to be there. And number two. The best one. Okay, ready? Go. Rock, paper, paper scissors. scissors. Oh, crap, do it again. Rock, paper, paper scissors. scissors. Oh. Rock, paper, paper scissors. Ah. <laughs> Got him. All right. For every poopy diaper that needs to be changed, for every time the kids need to be picked up at 11 o'clock, for every time that there's something that you can both do but neither of you want to do it, rock, paper, scissors, it has saved our marriage multiple times over. Oh, my gosh. The number of times that if fights have been... Averted. Averted. <laughs> rock, paper, scissors. And here's scissors. our number one. Let me land with this. The key to every healthy marriage is keeping Christ at the center. One of the things that we have realized is that um, submission to my husband... It's not natural. It is not in my nature. And loving me as Christ loved the church is not in John's nature. It is only through our relationship with Jesus Christ and the power, the Holy Spirit living in us, that we are actually able to live this out with each other in a healthy way 
that we're able to allow it to flesh out. So whether you are single, whether you are married, whether you've been married, your relationship with Jesus Christ, can I just say that has to come first. It is impossible for a dead soul to bring a marriage to life. Your marriage comes first. And so with that, I think we are going to close out and ask you to pray with us. Will you pray with us? Well, Lord, we are so humbled by you, humbled that you would put this institution of marriage together as such an example of and reflection of our, um, our relationship <laughs> with you, that you put us together as men and, and women, and, and, uh, and sometimes it's beautiful and sometimes it's just flat-out messy and you're with us the entire way. And Lord, I just, I thank you that um, the reality is we will be with you in heaven forever, and that is our ultimate marriage. John and I won't be married in heaven. We will still love each other, but we will be with you, and that will override everything, every relationship, that our ultimate heart's cry, our joy, is to be with you forever in heaven. And we, we thank you that you've given us marriage here on earth to give us a glimpse of what it might be like with you. So, Lord, we just, we honor you and we glorify your name today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. That was great. I love that. I wrote down your 10 tips. I'm going to try those out. Out in the lobby uh, are the baby bottles. You can make sure and pick one of those up. They have Life Services has a table set up out there as well if you'd like to talk or have questions. Also, moms, there's a chocolate out there, Lindor chocolate. Make sure and pick that up on your way out. And uh, those of you who turned in your prayer cards, we asked for answered prayers coming back. Some of you have done that. Some of you haven't yet. Make sure and get those into us. We'd love to hear about how God has been answering your prayers over the course of the last couple months. Well, let's stand up together. If you're new or newer to the church, love to meet you and say hello to you right over there by this monitor. And if you need prayer right over here on the other side, our prayer team is ready to go. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. And we will see you next week as we finish this series up.